This is Impact, a look at the things that matter in Nevada. I'm Carrie Kaufman. Nevada is stepping up testing for COVID-19 as the numbers, which spiked pretty high in July and August, are trending back down. Governor Sisolak gave a pre-Labor Day press conference in which he exhorted people to stay in small groups on Monday. Meanwhile, we are now at the end of week two of distance learning. The issue with schools seems to be technology infrastructure. Many teachers just can't get on when they are in school buildings. And parents are discovering things about their children they never knew before. Yes, little Joey can't sit still. His teachers know that. But with all the obstacles, many students and teachers are doing well. And music teachers have found innovative ways to connect with their students. Not surprising, since CCSD performing arts programs are consistently rated among the best in the country. Governor Steve Sisolak held a press conference on coronavirus on Thursday. It lasted about a half an hour. We don't have time to play it all, but here are some of the highlights annotated. First, the good news. Our case numbers are decreasing. So is our seven-day average on positivity, which is extremely important. It's one of the data points and metrics that we use most. This week, the Nevada hospitalization reported the lowest number of cases hospitalized since early July in intensive care unit uh, beds uh, occupied as a result of COVID since early July. We continue that downward trend as it relates to COVID-19 hospitalizations, which is extremely important, and that's a good sign for us. Then the bad news. In our two high-risk counties, three high-risk counties, Clark, Elko, and Washoe, our numbers are still extremely high. Nevada is one of only 11 states in the country that still has a positivity rate above 10%. Wait, did he almost forget Elko? Uh, we flattened the curve before. You remember that. We reopened and we spiked. And as a result of that, we had to put restrictions further back into place. Just a month ago, Southern Nevada hospitals were reaching near capacity. I mean, we were at a point where we didn't have any more hospital beds or close to no more hospital beds available. We can't do that again. We can't go back. We can't afford to get back in that position again. Ignore the people who think this is a hoax. Certainly there's naysayers out there that protest and don't want to wear a mask and object to this and that. But the vast, vast majority of our citizens are complying. They're wearing masks. They're practicing social distancing. They're avoiding large gatherings. And we ask them to continue it's to do It's easy that. to be a sideline critic, a Monday morning quarterback, an internet troll, whatever you want to call it. If I was sitting on the outside, I'd be criticizing too. And social media makes that very easy for people to do with their anonymity. And it's unfortunate that they do not understand that sometimes the people they're attacking are the ones that shouldn't be attacked. But we need to get working together in order to make but progress. all of our citizens are worthy of being represented and being worthy of cared about. And none of our citizens belong living homeless or in the dirt, as it were. Uh, they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Let's review. We had to cut our budget by 25%. One quarter of our state budget got slashed as a result of COVID-19. Hardworking Nevadans have lost their jobs. Nevadans have lost their houses. Businesses continue to struggle, and many of them have been forced to close. 
I'm going to now obliquely speak about why we left hospitals out of the Protect Workers and Corporations bill passed by the legislature last month. I have to consider our hospitality industry. It provides the largest number of jobs and helps fund our state. If we don't distance, they won't come. I have to make sure that leaders in other states have confidence in sending their residents here. If they think our numbers are too high, they're not going to take the risk. They'll place travel restrictions on people coming to Nevada or force a mandatory quarantine when the residents return. It's the end of the world as we know it. If we go too fast, any recovery will be hindered. And things like conventions won't just be canceled this year, they'll be canceled next year too, and the year after that. And we will lose convention business. We can't afford to do that. We can't afford to let that happen. Science! In the past six months since science has developed, and they've developed a lot. We should review to see what measures we should continue, what measures we should not, and what, what measures should be changed. Keep those kids at home. I want youth sports to be able to start up again. I don't want our athletic teams, our youth sports teams to travel out of safe where they're gonna have an issue with coming back and with restrictions in a neighboring state. That's not what we should be doing. Wait, 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 wait. Let's listen to that again. I don't want our athletic teams, our youth sports teams, to travel out of safe where they're going to have an issue with coming back and with restrictions in a neighboring state. That's not what we should be doing. People are traveling out of state to play sports to skirt Nevada's restrictions? Isn't youth sports about, you know, team building, looking out for one another? We have to meet this moment together, and I'm proud of what people in the state have done. I know a great majority, a great majority of people in Nevada, of our Nevadans, have rallied together. They might be upset with me on some things that I've done, some decisions that I've had to make, but that hasn't stopped them from sticking together and doing the right thing. That hasn't stopped them from helping their neighbors. Sisolak also talked about Stop, Swab, and Go, Clark County's initiative to get 60,000 people tested in the next couple of weeks for free. Wait. Here's a conversation about that very thing. Clark County has seen a downtrend in COVID-19 cases in the last month. Southern Nevada peaked in mid-July with an average of 1,400 new cases a day. By mid-August, it was down to around 800 new cases. And now, the first week in September, we are seeing about 300 new cases a day, which is pretty much what it was in April and May. The, the death rate follows the same pattern. As we tape this on September 2nd, less than 10 people a day are dying, up from more than 20 people a day a month ago. Testing, of course, is the key to containing this virus, testing and contact tracing. And Clark County has jumped in, offering three new testing sites that will be in place until September 18th. The program, called Stop, Swab, and Go, is administered by the county with money from the Department of Homeland Security. They hope to give about 60,000 tests all for free. Clark County Fire Department Chief John Steinbeck is overseeing the test sites, and he joins us by Zoom to uh, tell us what we need to know about these new sites. Sir, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you are. I'm going to start with the numbers, though. Uh, I, we, we talk about numbers all the time on this program. Uh, according to covidtracker.com, Nevada has tested 
about 600,000 people. You're hoping to add another 60,000 to that. Uh, we have roughly 3 million people, people in this state, with more than two-thirds of those coming from southern Nevada. How much of a dent is 60,000 tests going to make? Well, we think it's pretty significant, especially in the timeline that's available. So uh, a little bit of background on this, of course. If you go back to March when we started um, with, uh, with this crisis um, on the upswing for us, uh, testing was very difficult. We'd be looking at uh, maybe having 40 tests a day. Mm. Um, they were sent originally to the CDC, and we've evolved from that point um, to uh, a, building a lot of different capacity here in Southern Nevada. Uh, must, much of that has been with UMC and the Southern Nevada Health District. Of course, uh, we have a lot of uh, private labs that are also doing a great job of, of testing. Um, here as well to increase our, our testing capacity. But we continue to have um, pent-up demand for testing and to get the test results back uh, faster than ever so it'd be more and more effective. So um, we asked uh, health and, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, for a program that they have um, in which they would, they would send out and, and assist us with the additional 60,000 tests and those tests, they actually uh, process outside of the of the um, Clark County uh, and send the results back from us. So it doesn't take from any of our current resources and our testing capacity. It's just a force multiplier for us. Okay. And we're really uh, excited to have this opportunity. We're the first. Uh, we're the first jurisdiction that we know of. At least this is what we've been told that has gotten us, that has asked for it to come in instead of uh, this resource coming in because of a crisis. So we're going to do 60,000 more tests. How many uh, tests are we doing currently that we're adding the 60,000 to? Well, um, we've been averaging about 6,000 tests a day um, throughout the county. So uh, the 60,000 tests will be done in about 14 days. So uh, you know, if if we were able to do all 60,000 and that is the only thing that will keep us from doing all 60,000 is 60,000 people, whether they go or don't go to these sites, right. um, because we have the capacity to get them done. So, uh, you know, doing that math, uh, you know, we we uh, we would go from 6,000 tests a day during that time to over 10,000 tests a day. Okay, so about 40%. Um, yeah. who, who should come and take these tests? So these tests are available for everybody. Uh, it, it can, anybody that, that can handle the test can certainly take the test. And uh, Carrie, I want to I stress that these are the nasal swab tests, not the deep uh, uh, nasal pharyngeal tests that, that were originally had for most COVID testing. These are a shallow swab test. They're very simple. It's a, it's a soft Q-tip that you rub on the inside of your nostril and put it into a, into a vial um, you, and it gets sent off. It's uh, easy. And so anybody that, that can tolerate that simple action can take the test. There's no age limits and there's no restrictions as far as if you have symptoms or you don't have symptoms. Um, we just feel like uh, with the amount of asymptomatic people that have been, that have been shown to have this test mm. and then maybe spread the spread the disease to somebody else that is not going to be asymptomatic but that's going to be very sick, 
um, it's it's we, we encourage anybody and everybody to go get tested that can. So my teenagers have, you know, a teenage service jobs working in a coffee shop and somebody that they worked with. This was a, a couple of months ago now uh, got sick. They needed to get tested. Uh, and there were very few places that we could get a rapid test because they are not yet 18. Are you accepting people under 18? Yes. Well, we have uh, children of all ages coming through. So if uh, uh, there's no there's no limit. And we know there was uh, a lot of restrictions there on on uh, under 18. But uh, uh, any family can go. And uh, as long as your child will let you swab. Uh, the inside of their nostril with a Q-tip, then they can get the test. And how, is there a limit to like how many people can be in the car as they're driving through these places? No, uh, we don't have limits of how many people are in the car. We do encourage people to self-register and it's obviously much easier if you have a window access. So if you, if, if you're uh, four five, six people into the car, then that's a little bit more difficult, but it's still, it'll work. I mean, go go down there, get tested. We figure it out. We are um, servants of of Clark County, and so if if you come there with a van uh, and you're all in one family and you want to get everybody tested, we're going to figure out how to how to take care of that. Okay, so let's say I go to get tested, and we'll we we'll get to the sites in a moment where you can go. Um, but let's say I, I go to get tested, and I'm asymptomatic, but uh, lo and behold, I'm positive. Uh, what are you going to do? What information do I have to give you? How are you going to contact all the people that I've been in touch with in the last two weeks or or more? Yeah, so that's that's, that's done through the Southern Nevada Health District and uh, their partnerships is a contact tracing side of it. Um, of course, uh, as a fire department, we are the incident commanders at the collection sites. And uh, we also help through the multi-agency coordination center coordinating activities. But the actual activity of the contact tracing is done through the Southern Nevada Health District. All the labs have the uh, have the responsibility of reporting to them, and uh, then they go ahead and 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 do the d- disease investigation and the contact tracing. Um, and so. Uh, that's outside of my purview. Okay. So my question is, though, am I get, am I going to know, or are the people who who were in contact with me going to know, uh, in a in a quick enough period of time that they can also get tested, and maybe stay indoors? Uh, we hope so. So uh, I mean, we certainly do hope so. It's taking about three days to get these test results back, um, and. Uh, from what I understand now, we've been doing this for only a, a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also assist UMC with their testing. UMC is getting stuff back in, in one to two days right now, most of the time one day. Southern Nevada Health District is very quickly, is has a very quick turnaround. These are just a little bit longer because it, it, it goes to the federal government's contracted lab and comes back. Uh, but, uh, um, it's still uh, much faster than the 10 to 14 days that, that uh, was occurring early on in, in this crisis. One of the things that we started this conversation with is that the numbers are going down. They they did peak in July, uh, higher than I ever thought they would go, and now they're coming back down again. What do you attribute the peak to, and what do you attribute the coming down to? You know, this is an exhausting thing for people. 
Um, we're going to have ebbs and flows. It's our first time together through a pandemic of this level. Mm -hmm. uh, we forget about H1N1, which is very dangerous, but certainly uh, didn't affect us or all of our lives um, to, to this level. So uh, again, I'm not necessarily my area right. of expertise, but I, I do believe that we will have these ebbs and flows and uh, it's, it's from our, um, you know, uh, just social uh, distancing, maybe becoming a little bit more relaxed. Uh, of course, we take on the mask measures and that became a little bit more stringent and seemed to have more effect uh, than, you know, if, we, if we're still doing this without a vaccine and, and for several more months, uh, we'll probably see some more some more uh, uh, fluctuations like that because, um, you know, people get COVID fatigue. They really do. Right. Uh, and we don't want to minimize the need to open up our businesses to uh, the economic impact that people are having. Um, it breaks our heart to, to hear. And we all know uh, many people and people in our own families that are, that are really struggling yes. uh, due to this and uh, here in our community. So we're working to try to get everybody back up um, through every means. Testing is one component of that. Of course, contact tracing, having enough PPE, some of the uh, the efforts of the task force and the, the inspections to help businesses to be open. All of that uh, uh, works in, in conjunction. But as we open more up, then, then we might see a few more cases and then we, we adjust and we see what we can do to get them back down. So where are these locations? If I want to get tested and I live on the north side of town, if I live uh, in the Henderson area, do I have to travel very far? You don't have to travel very far. So okay. right now we have it as about as convenient as I believe it could be uh, throughout the sides of town. We're, you know, we have to have very large sites uh, to accommodate the drive-through testing. But um, thanks to our friends at Station Casinos, uh, we have the, the Texas station um, uh, off of Rancho in North Las Vegas. We have the Fiesta Hotel and Casino, um, 777 West Lake Mead. We have the Sam Boyd Stadium at 7000 East Russell Road. And so all of those are, uh, you can go there and you can get tested. Um, City of Mesquite also has um, some, some uh testing available there at 725 Hardy Way in Mesquite. And these are in addition to the sites that we, we will continue to have open uh, after September, um, which are, are uh, ran by UMC in conjunction with the National Guard, which is at Cashman Field and at UNLV. This is good to know. What are the hours if I want to go get tested? Yeah, so uh, for, the, for the testing, um, in the Blitz uh, sites, the, the three sites that are here in town, Fiesta, Texas, and Sam Boyd, uh, those hours are Monday through Friday, uh, 6 a.m. till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, you can get, um, you can register at www.doineedacovid19test.com. <laughs> Registration takes one minute. Okay. And uh, you are you are done. If you go to the site and you haven't registered, we'll still get you through, but you'll register there on site. It'll be faster for you if you register yourself before you go. I love that website name. Do I need a COVID-19 test.com? 
Uh, it's just yeah. right out there, uh, and people <laughs> will remember that. Uh, I, I got to ask you, um, President Trump says the more tests we do, the higher the rates will go. Uh, I, I don't understand the logic of that. I feel like the more tests we do, the more we can keep people in and the fewer people that they can infect. Um, do, are you getting pushback on this? So I wouldn't say it's pushback. I, I know there there are various opinions on it. Um, our direction from our uh, chief health officer is more tests are better. And so it gives people the information. Uh, you know, testing isn't spreading it. It's, it's, it's people have it and we're identifying who may have it. Of course, more tests may identify more cases. And in sometimes places may be penalized for seeing more cases uh, for doing a good job of testing, right. um, you know, the, the White House had put out a 2% uh, uh, requirement per month uh, to get some CDC funding. Um, we meet that 2% testing requirement and we far exceed it. And we feel like the more people that we identify that may, that, that have it that, and get to their um, people that they've contacted, it gives us the opportunity to isolate it gives us the opportunity to to save somebody that this is going to be uh, devastating for. And uh, it allows us to, to try to get more people back to work. So we look at it as, uh, you know, if we could take everybody in ten, and this isn't logistically possible, but if we could all have a test that gave us an accurate result at the same exact time yes. and then isolate, uh, it, this, this would, this would go away. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's a perfect condition, which is impossible, but um, we try to get as close to that as we can uh, until we get a vaccine or this, uh, this alters and changes as other pandemics have in the past. Clark County Fire Department Chief John Steinbeck is overseeing three test sites that will be in operation until September 18th. The program is called Stop, Swab, and Go, and you can register for this program uh, by going to doineedacovid19test.com. Chief, uh, thank you for being with us today. This has been very helpful. Thank you so much for helping us get the word out. Uh, please go to the website. Uh, there is uh, minimal information that you have to enter. And uh, it, it, this is available for anybody in Clark County, um, r regardless of any status, age, symptoms. Uh, and uh, there's just um, no, no negative for you to go as, as we see it right now. So uh, we appreciate you getting that word out for us. This is Impact. We're going to be back in a moment to talk about education, of course. Impact is co-produced by Nevada Voice, which is a nonprofit reporting project. We are working with KUNV on a number of projects beyond this weekly show, including a deep dive into race and how it works in people's lives. We are writing grants, and we welcome your support through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash impactkunv. Give what you can to keep good journalism happening in Las Vegas. I'm Carrie Kaufman, and I appreciate you listening.
Pictures have been shared on the internet. Many kids have shown off their dedicated at-home learning spaces. And teachers have been working night and day to translate what they know into online formats. But not all kids are enjoying back to school. About 25,000 of them started school without a device or an internet connection. CCSD is working to get every child who needs a Chromebook one that they can use, but that won't happen until October. Meanwhile, parents are frustrated, and many who were lauding teachers just a few short months ago are now calling them selfish for not wanting to risk COVID by going back into the classroom. In some cases, it's gotten rather nasty. We're checking in today with Andrea Cole, who is one of the three administrators of CCSD Parents Facebook group, which has grown exponentially in the last few weeks. Andrea, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, you um, listeners, regular listeners know that Andrea joins me every once in a while to talk about education and other things and uh, was on the daily program quite often. Uh, I'm going to start with just how is your sense of how things are going overall? Like, I know that you have a high schooler. I have two high schoolers. They just do their thing on the computer. But how is it, how is your sense in terms of, you know, people with, uh, with grade schoolers, people with middle schoolers? What are you seeing on the page? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. High school is going fairly well. Um, the kids are um, technology natives. They can just hop on, they do their classes, and they're good to go. But um, middle schooler mixed reviews um, from, from middle school parents. But man, the elementary parents, especially the younger elementary, kindergarten, first and second grade, and then also the special ed parents are really having a difficult time right now. Yeah, there's, um, there has been a lawsuit that has been filed by some special ed parents. And you had suggested uh, when I talked to you once on, in, in an inter- interview that perhaps we should uh, put, just put special ed kids in schools, that there's enough room for them if nobody else is there. And I found that it was interesting how, how quickly that was rejected by the board. Uh, are you still advocating for that? Kind of. Ideally, it would be awesome if we could do that. Um, The idea that I had was if we could take just the special ed kids, put them in classrooms, and then for some of those classrooms that are too small, my suggestion was to put them in a larger classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, For so many reasons, I guess that's just not going to work, unfortunately. Uh, people, teachers are protective of their classrooms. They don't want another class coming in there. Mm. Um, the multi-purpose rooms are like too large to keep them contained. Differences among schools with the amount of kids in classes. It's just, and special ed teachers actually are at a higher risk sometimes than a general ed teacher because of some of the behaviors of special education students. That is true. So it... I think I had the right idea trying to suggest it, but then when people came back and explained to me why it wasn't going to work, I also understood that. So this is just a really, it's a no win for our special ed kids and their families. It's really tough. It's a no win. People kept asking as we were, as we were planning all this out, how is this going to work with special ed? What are, what are special ed kids going to do? What are special ed families going to do? And there never seemed to be an answer. And even as school started, there really was never an answer. Normally, in a normal 
school year. Special ed students normally wouldn't be receiving services until a week or two into the school year. They get adjusted to their regular classrooms. Special ed teachers are still working out scheduling. And so like today, tomorrow, this week is when they would normally start hearing from their caseworkers. So that's been a frustration for the parents because a lot of these kids haven't even started services yet. Mm. So it's just, and then the parents not knowing that that's how that normally works. They're of course going, well, what about my kid? You're leaving me behind. You're not reaching out. I haven't heard anything. And that's just causing a ton of frustration for them. There have been some (laughs) glitches I know that I've seen parents on your page saying, look, my kid over here is on and is very happy. And my kid over here goes to the same school, can't connect. Have you, how many of those kinds of posts have you seen? And and what are you hearing from parents beyond the page? So many, so many of those posts. We have gotten over... A thousand posts and over 40,000 comments in the past month. Wow. We're now up to over 13,500 members. It's definitely a lot to keep up with. And of course, we're all working and we're all doing this at home with our kids. And the technology stuff is coming in, you know, at least one an hour of, hey, this isn't working. I can't get on. I can't get my password. I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing for my kid right now because the technology just isn't working. And so we're trying to, you know, crowdsource that and let all these parents help each other. And we're posting the IT phone numbers, who to call. So I did post something on that page about this because one of my kids had had a problem uh, enlarging, uh, getting, it was glitching as uh, she was doing uh, her dance class. Uh And you know, my thought is we're probably going to have to change our um, our internet connection, right? We're probably going to have to increase our bandwidth. But I was hoping that somebody would say, no, 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 this is a Google problem. This is a, this is a CCSD problem. And I actually got both answers. So I don't really know still what to do, but we're probably just going to have to increase bandwidth. And that, that may be the, what many parents want to do and and don't want to do because they they have they can't afford it or perhaps they just don't understand how that all works that's that's a hardship you shouldn't have to pay more money right now for your kid to get um, well, yes. a public education so that's definitely a tricky a tricky thing and like you said it's hard to know is it is it your internet is it the program that you're using I mean, these are all questions that we're getting over and over and over on the page. I've heard from some teachers and school admin that uh, that people, that they're having trouble connecting in some cases, that the internet in their schools is not strong enough. Right, right. Yes. That's absolutely happening. Yeah, and I've had teacher friends. I, we've had parents that will log on and say, hey, my teacher didn't show up to class today. My kid was logged on and the teacher wasn't there. Ah. And then I'll see another p- teacher post someplace else I didn't show up to class today. My internet, I was trying to get on the whole class period and was never able to get on. So, oh. yeah, so there's a lot of that happening. I, I want to actually get to the, that. I saw somebody post on the page saying, 
my my kids' teacher didn't show up to class, but it wasn't as nice as you just said it. It was it was a really sort of a nasty. My teacher didn't show up to class. Can you imagine that? Like my kid shows up to class and they can't even be bothered to show up to class, and and now what you're saying and what I've heard from teachers and principals is that this isn't a, the teacher not wanting to. Uh, be there for them. I can't imagine a Clark County teacher not wanting to be there to teach their kids, um, but not being able to get on. And and that kind of goes to the nastiness that has kind of started permeating not just your group, but teachers' groups and other parents' groups uh, about how horrible teachers are. And um, and how lazy they are, and how they just—they're just very selfish. They just don't—they don't want. They need to go back into the classroom because our kids are more important than their health. Is my interpretation of it? They there are people who are angry that teachers don't want to go back into the classroom. Um, talk to me about some of this—the tone that you've been seeing coming in on the page. There's definitely been some nasty comments and things the way that I interpret it is it's coming from a place of frustration and in some cases just kind of hopelessness anxiety these parents especially the parents of younger kids are having such a difficult time managing this whole situation that they feel oftentimes like they're not being heard and I think everybody handles social media differently, right? And Mm -hmm. everybody handles frustrating, stressful situations differently. And so some people are handling that by lashing out. And that's something that we we have guidelines on our page as to how people are to treat each other with respect. And we don't allow for bashing of teachers or other parents. Um, but yeah, we've definitely seen the tone, the tone change, but I just think it's really coming from a place of people just feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, stressed. Um, it's, I, I really feel for them. I, I don't think that, you know, there's always a few that are on there just to kind of troll and, be mm-hmm. a jerk just to be a jerk but for the most part these are moms that are saying I can't do this this is too much for me and maybe if somebody else comments that it's they just want to feel heard you're so nice things. you're so nice <laughs> well <laughs> I mean I interpret I don't interpret it as that like I certainly okay my children will tell you that sometimes when I get frustrated I get angry and then, and they tell me to knock it off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I get the whole, uh, I can't take this anymore. And then going to the internet <laughs> and going, what is going on here? Right? right? I get that. But I also feel like they didn't, people are not like, hey, I'm really frustrated. What's going on here? They're coming on and they're blaming teachers for not showing up. They're they're, um, you know, like like blaming the district for technology glitches uh, when the district doesn't really have enough money to have built a technology infrastructure of, that we need. I'm not really even sure that that Cox Cable has the full technology inner, inner infrastructure that we need for this kind of learning. So it's I'm not seeing so much understanding. You're very nice, Andrea. Well, here's the thing is, I think, too, we're in a culture of everybody. Well, 
internet culture and social media culture has kind of shifted during this pandemic where there's a lot of people now who haven't been interacting with with the outside world as much as they normally would and then that frustration is building and if you go on anywhere on any social medias people are just arguing and bickering and calling each other names and being just absolutely horrible to each other and so it's not just in the parent group but I think because our group is revolving around schools there's there's definitely more frustration there but I just think in general as a culture it's uh, maybe Americans. I don't know if that's a worldwide thing, but people are just being nasty everywhere on social media. Um, yeah. And then there's, of course, there's frustration, right? Because we do have group guidelines and we do ask that people keep things positive, constructive. You don't have to agree, but you have to be nice to one another. I mean, these are all grown adults. And if they can't be nice to one another, we do remind them of the rules and we, um, we just we, we don't allow some of that bad behavior in our group and you know and then that makes people angry too so they have the right to be angry about that but we do ask that people stick to our group guidelines and disagree with respectfully and so talk you know. to me about some of the things that you have not put on the page and uh, have what have people said to you personally yeah well a, a lot of a lot of stuff that we don't post a lot of times it's duplicates right because mm-hmm. we have posts coming in mm-hmm. every 10 minutes mm-hmm. and it's been like that for about two weeks and so we might get the same meme submitted 20 times in a day and so we're not just going to keep posting duplicates over and over so a lot of times it's that we also are getting a ton of people who just want to post rants they just want to they just want to have their their rant their soapbox this sucks i hate it ccsd is horrible everything's horrible just and and i understand that from that person's perspective this is hard this is horrible like people are having a horrible people with multiple children that are getting on and off the internet multiple times a day this is not sustainable for a lot of parents and we completely understand that and we are fighting so hard for them behind the scenes but when you come into the group and you just want to post you know, just a big old this sucks rant. We're getting those so often that if we were to approve every one of those, the entire page would just be, yeah, you know, a show. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's just not what we want. We're trying to have it be a place where people can help each other and connect and advocate for kids. The original goal of the page, of course, was to advocate for increased funding. And this secondary purpose of the page is great, but we, it, it's it's not a place to just come on and you know certainly not a place to bash teachers it's not a place to bash other people's parenting or to yeah you know i've do, seen that too to, to argue to argue about you know the whether or not the coronavirus is real i mean there's tons of places on the internet where you can go and argue about whether or not the coronavirus is real there's plenty of places to do that we just don't want our page to be the the place to have those to have those arguments I guess it's just not the purpose of it and it takes away from from parents helping other parents make it through this really hard horrible situation one thing I would like to say that a lot of the parents I'm hearing are saying I can't teach my kids all day and one thing I would like to really put on record is that the teachers are teaching your kids you're just guiding your kids. You're making sure that they're on the computer, that they're logged in when they need to be and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But as far as the actual education, the teachers are teaching your kids. As a parent, you're not the teacher. 
Like mm-hmm. you, you don't have to be responsible for teaching them the content. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's a lot easier for parents with older kids. I mean, I think the older your kid is, you're in a better position. The younger your kid is, the more, the more those parents are struggling for sure. The parents of young kids and the special ed parents. Yeah. I just, if you guys are listening, I just want you guys to know that we, we care and we're trying to fight for you. And I see how hard it is. People with multiple children, my, my neighbor has a two-year-old, a kindergartner, a fourth grader, and a sixth grader. Oh, wow. So the fourth grader and sixth grader are just on their own on their computers. The kindergartner, she's having to sit right with them and log them on and off all day through all these lessons. Right. And then the two-year-old's just raising themselves because what, how is she supposed to... I mean, so, how, how so, in the world is a mom supposed to do that, right? So and, there are a couple things that I, that I'm taking away from this. One is that uh, we that y- we don't appreciate how the medium is the message, as Marshall McLuhan said uh, all those many years ago. Uh, that 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 teaching somebody who is right in front of you is different from teaching somebody through a screen, and so. Uh, teachers oh, and, and parents are having to learn that. And I honestly don't think that even administrators really understand how this works. Uh, so so everybody's sort of on this yeah. learning curve. But the other thing that I find kind of fascinating, especially from like a teacher's point of view, is that they're realizing that to do stuff via, uh, via computer, via IT, is a lot harder and it takes so many more steps than just being in the room with somebody. I can tell you that because I do a radio oh, yeah. show, right? It's so much easier to to do a live radio show for half an hour, have some have some tape ready to go, talk to people, move on to the next one, push this button, and then a half an hour later you're done. When, when I'm putting together a week-long hour series, it's a lot more work. So... I, I get that, and I think that a lot of teachers who never really realized that are sort of discovering how IT works and how it's a, it's a different animal, and there are so many more steps, and and that's why teachers are crashing. I mean, they are so tired. They're working like 16-hour days right now. Yes. I mean, this is, it's insanity. They are working so hard. So when I see parents getting so frustrated with teachers, and I will say that sometimes those, the ones that are a little louder and a little more nasty on the page do get more attention. The vast majority of the parents that I have talked to are so appreciative of everything the teachers are doing. And they're recognizing that this is hard for teachers too. But yeah, the teachers are working insanely hard, harder than they've ever worked in their life, as far as what I'm hearing. Andrea Cole is one of the administrators on the CCSD Parents Page, and hopefully we can all get through this without getting too angry. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you, Andrea. Have some wine. (laughs) Have have a lot of wine. I have been reporting on the Clark County School District for years. Most of the news, I gotta be honest, is not that great. We're underfunded, we're understaffed, our classes are overcrowded, our school district is too big and must be broken up, maybe, kind of. The board is in chaos. As a journalist, I know all of those things to be true, but I also know this to be true. The Clark County School District has excellent teachers, 
And this is my favorite part. It has a performing arts program that is one of the most outstanding in the nation. And right now we're talking to the guy who runs that department, Jeff Williams. Welcome to the program. Hi, good afternoon, and thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. So uh, you tell me what programs you actually oversee at CCSD, and how long have you been doing this? I just began a year ago, and uh, so this is all still kind of new to me, but uh, I oversee secondary schools and the programs of secondary music, dance, and theater. And before that, you were Bob Miller, weren't you? That's right. I was a band director at Bob Miller Middle School for 18 years. Just a terrific time I had there. And Miss those kids and community so much. I got to tell you, I, I came back to Vegas where I grew up when my kids were in fifth grade. And they had had all these programs, you know, from kindergarten, these music programs. And they started playing in orchestra and in band in fourth grade. And we came back and we were told, nope, nope, there's no orchestra, there's no band. You have to be in sixth grade to do that. And I was like, oh, what have we come back to? We've just, you know, it's not... It's not as good of a district, blah, 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 like all this negative stuff. And then I found out over the last, in the next four years how wrong I was watching them, watching their peers, watching people at other schools start out in sixth grade, not even knowing how to hold a trumpet, uh, not even knowing how to hold a violin. And then three years later, how good they were. What magic happens here? Well, as with a lot of things, uh, a whole bunch of factors have to come together to, to make this possible. And I think where you started with the elementary schools is really the key. Our, our district enjoys such a great reputation, and a lot of it begins with our kindergartners through fifth grade who learn from a certified music and visual arts specialist right from the beginning. And they just build an incredible foundation for our kids who when they do start with uh, secondary performance programs, uh, they have the foundation to, to succeed and do so incredibly well. And what we found here is it's not necessarily the year at which we start those ensembles and some of the larger performing groups, but uh, the way in which we do it. And uh, the way in which we do it works extremely well. So we build with a great foundation and then, uh, and then put them into a secondary program where they can take all that they've learned and uh, put that into a performing group. Okay, I'm not going to let you get away without telling me the way that you do it. Well, part of the key is that uh, for most of our programs, they have an ensemble that's embedded into their school day. And that's not, uh, not universal throughout our country. In many programs, uh, our band, orchestra, choir, dance, theater, uh, guitar programs, all of, all of the performing arts programs will meet maybe once or twice a week, sometimes as a club. And we're so fortunate here that right from the start when they enter middle school, the area over, over which I, I work, they, uh, they begin right in the, in the school day and they see their, their teacher every day. So that's a, that's a big key to it. Uh, also, we have just incredible support from our administration and our, uh, our district school board of trustees who understand the value of arts education. And so we bring in terrific teachers. We support those programs. We make sure that our students have access to events such as honor groups uh, in which they audition uh, to be part of. Of, the, of these performances, and also our festivals, which are just a key part of our program, which our students will perform and, and be evaluated and, and learn about how to improve. And when all this comes together, uh, again, the magic happens. Uh, great mm -hmm. things for kids, and they end up with just the best experience in performing arts. Uh, we do have a teacher shortage in CCSD, but I don't seem to see that we have a, a music, dance, theater teacher shortage, do we? Uh, no, not at this time we don't. Uh, I'm thrilled that we are 
we're just about fully staffed again this year. And with the re reputation that our district has, we, we tend to attract uh, quite a number of applicants mm. and, and, and many great applicants who, who would love to come teach here and be a part of this experience. So we're, we uh, are very fortunate that that just about every school every year has a, an outstanding, a quality, well-trained teacher uh, to run their performing arts programs. I interviewed somebody who started uh, playing the bassoon in sixth grade, never, you know, his family doesn't have musical talent. Uh, he just started playing the bassoon. He got, he got pretty good at it. He ended up going to LVA and now he's uh, at, an, at an art school playing the bassoon. It's his life now. Um, how many kids graduate and, and take music as their life and how, and and how many don't? And what do you want them to get out of this, even if they don't go on to be a professional musician? That's a terrific question. And a, a lot of times when, when a student begins in performing arts, the question is, is this what you want to do for a career? And, and that may not necessarily be the best way to think about students who engage in performing arts. It's not about a career or making a living performing on an instrument or as a as an actor or a dancer, the, the real key is to, to recognize what learning in the arts does for students, how it changes them. And for, if, if I had never made a career out of, out of performing arts, it, it, it certainly changed me. It made me a better student and a better person. Uh, it taught me perseverance. And I know that's true of, of the students that I taught, that the, the character attributes, what they gain, the social emotional learning, that's such a core part of what we do, stays with them forever in anything that they do. And and maybe and maybe they do continue on in performing arts and that's fantastic and we encourage that and love to see that but we know that all of the students that go through our programs gain something that's uh that, that's just incredible for them and and changes their life for the better so you mentioned uh the festivals and the honors showcases those are generally at unlv what's your relationship with unlv school of music we enjoy a terrific relationship with the school there. We do host many of our events at UNLV and they're so helpful and accommodating to us, uh, making sure that we have everything we need every step of the way for these events. They're, they're large productions. Some of them for our festivals are several days long. And uh, so it's quite a commitment and they're, uh, they're incredibly helpful to us. Uh, in addition, uh, the, the faculty at UNLV is wonderful throughout the performing arts and are constantly offering to help and to and do everything that they can to support our students. Most recently, the music faculty contacted me and you know, mentioned that they're, they're working through distance learning as well and mm. through all those challenges and recognizing what, what our teachers are dealing with and what our students are working through, they, they offered to help and uh, to, to join in, to, to offer videos or anything that they can do to help support instruction so our kids keep learning and doing well. So uh, the, the relationship there is incredible, and we are so grateful for everyone at UNLV. That's really great. So let's talk about this distance learning. How are music teachers uh, teaching people through the computer how to, how to, how to do the music? And also, um, I, I talked to Paul Kleeman a couple of weeks ago, who's a guitar teacher at Del Sol, and he put out a call for guitars because he d we don't have uh, enough instruments for people to take home. You know, how are you getting instruments? Do you have enough? But also, like, you know, how are teachers approaching this? And are all they, they all working together? You know, that's a great question. And I, I'll be very candid and share that 
uh, back in June, I, I lost a lot of sleep over these questions. Uh, <laughs> when it became when it became apparent that we were likely going to need to re- return to distance learning for the at least the beginning of the year, uh, yes, I, I went through a whole lot of anxiety and was up nights um, worrying about how we're going to do this. I I think it's safe to say that performing arts is is really the, the most difficult content area to present in a digital format. Mm-hmm. Our our students just thrive on their contact with their teacher and collaboration and performance, live performances is at the core of what we do. So, so I, I certainly was a bit worried about this, about how our programs would fare. But over the last couple of months, uh, what I've seen from our teachers has been nothing short of extraordinary. They've spent uh, just countless hours over the summer investigating how to make this happen, how to teach online and how to bring performing arts instruction to life digitally. They've been incredibly adaptive and just ingenious in doing so. And as you likely already know, Canvas uh, learning management system is our primary mode of instruction for all teachers. Mm-hmm. And, and our performing arts teachers will work within that environment as well. But they're also going to be branching out to video conferencing apps. And uh, many of them have also invested in online learning applications for our content areas. Uh, in, in the area of music, for example, Many of our schools are using a program where students can log on and perform a piece of music that their instructor has selected. And this online application will actually grade and evaluate technical aspects of their performance, their pitch and rhythm, Mm. tempo, uh, many aspects of what they're doing, and then guide the student to better performance. And while nothing could ever replace a teacher in the room, uh, this is a great way to get through this time and for for students to, to make the most of their practicing and their learning. So that's the mode of, of teaching. And, and again, it, nothing can replace a teacher, a live teacher in a classroom, but our teachers have found some incredible ways to make this work and to continue bringing those experiences to their students. How are you getting instruments to people in their homes? Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's been a, a unique challenge this year. Um, getting instruments out to our students is always a challenge, but this year it's just amplified like so many other things. And our teachers have been working through their schools to set up contactless pickup for those instruments uh, where they have them out and ready to go uh, and everyone in their PPE ready to, to deliver these instruments. Parents have been coming by to pick those up and take them home. And we do have a few cases where we're short on instruments where we don't have one for every single student. Uh, in some programs, in some instruments, and it's pretty rare, but we have a few programs where the different classes will share a mm-hmm. class set of instruments, such as guitar. Right. Paul visited with you recently, shared, uh, the challenges that their school is facing. And so we're working as hard as we can every day to find donations and grants and whatever possible to, to increase the number of instruments that we do have uh, and, and finding some creative solutions to, to get around those problems. And many of our, uh, our just terrific retailers here in town have have really cut their prices as much as they possibly can to make it possible for for students to rent or buy an instrument. Um, In most cases, we're doing quite well. Uh, In most cases, we have enough for the students that we have enrolled and uh, they're off and running. We're checking out those instruments now. So uh, we're getting closer and hopefully through the next couple of weeks here with some of those efforts, we'll be able to get every student an instrument that they need. Okay, good to know. Um, How many instruments do you still need and uh and what is the need like what what kind of particular instruments guitar is that still an issue guitar is the biggest issue actually and that's Mm. that's one program where we'll have a class set because it's not a problem to pass a guitar from one student to the next uh, hour by hour and so in in some schools we, we are short some guitars 
uh, I would say the number now is several hundred guitars were short district wide, uh, if not up to a thousand or so at last count. So that's a critical area and we're, we're hoping to, to help bridge that gap. And uh, we have several folks that are working on that in the community to help us out. So uh, like I said, we have our fingers crossed that that will come through and we'll be able to get every student the instrument that they need as soon as possible. So what the, the outside programs, the honors programs, the festivals, those are canceled for this year? Well, we're canceled through December. Uh, we knowing that we had from the district a 90 day period before we reevaluate our numbers to decide when we can return. Uh, we knew that that would push us out of the realm of possibility for those events uh, and as difficult as it was, we, we knew that that was the best decision is to, to not try to plan those events and end up with a, a second rate event. So we are, uh, we're working on alternatives for those events, I should say, between now and December, some other things that we can do. We still have our events for the spring on the books. And uh, again, are just hoping, keeping our fingers crossed that we're able for every reason to get back into face-to-face instruction and to continue those events because we know how important they are. Jeff Williams is the coordinator of secondary music, dance, and theater for the Clark County School District. Before that, he was a beloved band teacher at Bob Miller Middle School. Uh, Thank you for talking to us, Jeff. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. If you would like to donate a guitar or any other instrument that you might have hanging around that somebody might need, Jeff advises that you should just call your school and ask them if they need instruments. They will be more than happy to take them off your hands. Paul Kleeman, who we interviewed a couple of weeks ago, has set up a couple of links, which we will put on our website. Uh, One is Amazon Wishlist. It's uh, bit.com. L-Y slash D-S-A guitar wish. So that's bit, bitly, you know, bit dot L-Y slash D-S-A guitar wish. Uh, You can also donate actual money to the guitar program rather than buying a a guitar on Amazon. That is B-I-T dot L-Y slash D-S-A guitar donate. I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening who have some sort of instrument somewhere tucked away in their closet that they have not touched in probably 30 years. Dig it out. Give it to a school. And thank you. Another episode of Impact has come and gone. Impact is a co-production of Nevada Voice and KUNV. You can also find the show and individual clips on Apple Podcast or impact.simplecast.com. You can also go to KUNV slash impact, and we will have lots of links there. Thanks to Chief John Steinbeck, Andrea Cole, and Jeff Williams. We will have a link to show how you can donate musical instruments to CCSD, KUNV.org slash impact. Of course, our intro music is Foster the People's Life on the Nickel, and you're listening right now to Vampire Weekend's Oxford Comma. We haven't played this in a while, but special thanks to Christian Bella, Lola Emery, and Quinn Robertson for sharing some of their family dynamic. We'll be back next week. I am Carrie Kaufman. Thank you for listening to Impact.